Welcome to the More Equity Podcast by Harlem Capital. Harlem Capital is a diversity-focused early-stage venture capital firm based in New York City. We're on a mission to invest in a thousand diverse founders over the next 20 years. This season, managing partners Henri Pierre Jacques and Jared Tingle sit down with Harlem Capital's limited partners, the investors who help bring the firm to life. Tune in as we share stories and insights on navigating the VC fundraising landscape, from pitching fund strategy to building relationships with LPs and successfully raising capital. In today's episode, we speak with Hunter Somerville, partner at the Stepstone Group and a member of the private equity team focusing on venture capital and growth equity investments. The Stepstone Group is a global private markets investment firm focused on providing customized investment solutions and advisory services to clients. They have $134 billion in assets under management and $540 billion in client assets allocated. Prior to Stepstone, Hunter was a general partner with Greenspring Associates, a venture capital and growth equity firm that was acquired by Stepstone in 2021. There, Hunter was responsible for the sourcing and due diligence efforts of fund, direct, and secondary opportunities, as well as the assessment of micro VC managers for the firm. Tune in as Jared and Hunter discuss the unique advantages and lessons learned from investing in the venture capital landscape through fund of funds, direct, and secondary investments. Hi, Hunter. Welcome to the Harlem Capital More Equity Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jared. Looking forward to it. So, of course, I know who you are, but I want to make sure our audience does too. So I'll read a short bio. Uh, Hunter Somerville is a partner at the Stepstone Group and a member of the private equity team focusing on venture capital and growth equity investments. Prior to Stepstone, Hunter was a general partner at Greenspring Associates, a venture capital and growth equity investment firm that was acquired by Stepstone in 2021. At Greenspring, Hunter was responsible for sourcing and due diligence efforts on fund, direct, and secondary opportunities, as well as the assessment of micro VC managers for the firm. Um, so very relevant to, to what we're doing and you know, super excited for our partnership, Hunter. Yeah, we feel the same way. It's been great working with you all. Awesome. Um, so thinking back to the beginning of our GPLP partnership, we'll love to hear how you first met Harlem Capital and if anything stuck out about how we met. Yeah, you know, sure. Um, so one of our close mutual friends, the state of Michigan, came to us and, and told us about how much they enjoyed interacting, meeting with you all, thought there was something really unique there about what you were trying to build and do. And being that we work with them, uh, asked for us to, to dig a little deeper, get smarter, um, and, and spend some time in diligence, which we were happy to do, and came away with a, a really great appreciation uh, of your history, what you wanted to do, where you were going, uh, and began a relationship that way, which obviously blossomed and got bigger um, when you raised your second fund, um, where we invested again in that one. Great. Um, and it's funny because I actually met Michigan Cold. We were at a annual meeting of a big P firm, and I just went up to, I guess, the CIO. <laughs> so I, warm introductions are how we raise most of our fund, but this one actually came from a cold intro, and obviously he referenced us and everything, but sometimes you just got to go and ask <laughs> to, to start our conversation. 
Yeah, no, exactly. And, and you, you mentioned like what was one of the things you thought of when we first met you. I mean, just the grind and grit factor, um, which is something we've always cared about organizationally and culturally. We actually have everyone read Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, uh, as part of a reading assignment when you get going. And, you know, we want to hire people. We want to work with people. We want to partner pe with people that knock down doors, get things done, aren't complacent. And, you all clearly did that. Um, it's never easy to raise a first-time fund, but I'd say that the way you went about it, the quality of groups you added, uh, the connectivity you already had on the PE and buyout world, even before getting going in the venture side, was was pretty impressive. And it just shows that, you know, that that's the way you'd approach sourcing winning deals. Uh, you know, sort of similarly to how you just got it done from a fundraising standpoint. Thank you. And so whenever our first formal pitch was, I know I met Sayon shortly after our first fund closed uh, for potentially working with Greenspring directly. Um, but I guess from the first time we pitched you, um, I guess what stuck out, you know, what made you want to support us? And then what were your hesitations? Want to hear both sides? <laughs> for, for yeah, sure. yeah. No, I'm a pretty transparent person. So happy, happy to go to both. And you probably remember a, a nice little argument you and I had the first time that uh, we, we were talking around portfolio construction, which both of us get pretty passionate about. Um, on what we really liked, um, I would say it was that tenacity combined with what we thought was a very unique sourcing effort that you were putting together. And so both through the connectivity you had built in the, the private equity world and your thesis around diversity and the underrepresentation of capital going to diverse founders, both from a gender uh, and, and a racial lens, was something that I, we believe in as an organization and that we thought people weren't tackling and doing a good enough job in, in, in making better. Um, and we thought that combined with that tenacity and what you were already building in terms of brand and community, would allow you to successfully begin to chip away and solve that problem. And whenever you look at venture funds, it's whether they have a sourcing angle that's unique um, and whether they can find founders that are untouched or untapped, or if they have a unique ability to win those situations if it does become competitive. And as I just mentioned, I think you found a community that was untapped, that was not being given enough attention. And we already knew that you had that drive and grit to get things done and to win. And so that seemed like a pretty compelling uh, proposition. And then even from the beginning and, and certainly to today, I think just building your brand, building the community, having all different ways to interact with the founder community, events you put on, you really take that branding um, and marketing approach quite seriously and institutionalize it in a way that I don't think enough people take seriously. Um, they just sort of, some are okay hanging out in the shadows and, and not having a point of view and a perspective. And I think it, it has served you all incredibly well. Um, in terms of things like I wanted to see improvement from, or I had a different point of view on, on the portfolio construction side, I'm a big believer in buying ownership up front. I think you need to do so in a competitive market where Series A firms and even people doing mango seeds are quite aggressive at putting capital to work and feeling like you can buy it up later is pretty difficult. And so I generally like to see seed groups or small A groups we work with targeting, you know, eight to 12, even maybe 15% ownership at point of entry and recognize that that will get diluted over time, but just feeling like you can buy it up and then maintain it, um, you know, be able to still do pro rata and follow on rounds at least through like the, the post seed or the series A 
because you're going to get cut out in the future or you're just not going to have enough reserves to do it. And so I think, you know, just having a point of view around that, and frankly, I don't think we're that different in terms of how we view it um, uh, now and, and maybe even back then. Um, but Great, great feedback. I mean, I definitely remember from our debate, <laughs> you were fine, I think, with our original fund target, but the number of deals we thought was a little too high. You know, market with check size is getting going to push us close to what you wanted anyway, I think close to 30. And then yeah. uh, we'll still probably end up, we're, we're thinking 40, but we, we originally wanted 45. But the other piece that really stuck out was we were positioning ourselves a certain way and we alluded to certain groups, certain funds that we emulate. You're like, hey, oh, you guys are community fund. And that's the first time we actually heard LP say that and actually resonated because we never had a term for what we were trying to do. And so that actually helped us just hear how the LPs view us and just own that's kind of how we're going about it in the market. Yeah. And you had good GP mentors and folks you talked to, I, I think first round and true and others that have done a great job with community building. And frankly, that's hard, but it has huge advantages and huge synergies as you scale. And if you are doing 30 to 40 companies per fund, like you have a finite amount of time and you can be hugely additive and always accessible. But at the same time, like you have to have other resources you can provide to founders, either through team augmentation, team build, or by connecting folks to each other and allowing them to leverage the connective knowledge um, of the group um, and different people within each of these companies. And I think you, you've done a fantastic job at that. Um, and there's not a lot of people I can point to in the venture community that really have. A lot of people will hire like someone as a head of community and like maybe help lightly in recruitment, but people don't tie it actually together. Uh, and I got to give you all a lot of credit for, for doing that proactively and, and making it more than lip service. Great, thank you. Uh, we'll shift gears a bit to, to investor perspective. Um, so as a partner at StepStone, it will be great to hear a bit about your fund-to-fund strategy um, yeah. and how you think about VC as an asset class overall. Yeah, so as you alluded to up front, uh, we were all part of the Greenspring team. We are now uh, the venture growth division within StepStone, along with some great new partners, uh, my, my new colleagues, Brian Borden, John Coelho. And Andrew Callahan, um, we really like our team. Uh, we're a great cultural fit together. And we're going to continue doing what we've been doing um, as part of Greenspring, except now as part of a, a larger um, public organization. And so we're pretty excited about that. Um, in terms of our strategies, from the very beginning, we have always been active in three categories, which is fund investing, direct investing, and secondary investing. And we think it's important to do all three both from a return standpoint, but also in terms of building depth of relationship with the people that we back and in making us better in diligence and assessment. Because when you do direct opportunities alongside of your GPs, you actually see them in action. You see them around board tables. You see how they approach the assessment of opportunities. You learn from the founders, you know, why they really like working with these folks. Um, and similarly, on a secondary basis, it just gives you a very granular point of view on underlying assets. And so um, that's always been our orientation. That's what we still do out of distinct pools of capital. Um, and on the primary fund piece, we are very heavily weighted in early stage, uh, at least from the Greenspring side, and have always been quite active in Series A. Um, we also support our managers as they've all mostly raised growth funds or opportunity funds. And then we were one of the earlier groups to get very behind the micro VC category and be active there as well. 
in backing emerging managers with smaller fund sizes, um, because we think there's different ways to win in venture. Um, it, you know, there are platforms that can approach it that way and be very effective. There are also smaller funds that can get high ownership in seed and get really nice end of day multiples if they pick well. Um, and so we're believers in taking different models and different approaches for success. That's great. And one of the reasons why we're so excited to have Greenspring on was because, and now Stepstone, is because you see so much. I think you work with hundreds of managers. And so you really have a great perspective, a lot of experience through all that kind of goes on on the VC side. Yeah, we try and we try to be active partners. We're advisory board members on a high majority of the, the firms that we work with. And we have a division as part of our group that also does portfolio impact where we help with customer introductions and recruitment um, if we have folks in our network that could be additive. So we want to earn our way. We want to be an active partner. <clears throat> it's important to us. We don't want to be passive. We don't want to be commoditized capital. Fantastic. And then we'd love to hear more about your investment strategy for, for fund managers. So specifically what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, in these managers and then how you approach allocations, check size, um, and any, any deal breakers that kind of make you pass right away. Yeah. So we look for compelling people first and foremost, just as a GP would look at the, the founder community. So people that we think are, um, you know, incredible in terms of initiative and drive. Um, and then we look for folks that have established some level of relevance in what they want to do on a go forward basis strategically. And so doesn't mean that you have to have a fully built out, fully attributable track record. You know, that's stuff we can do work on, get comfortable with. We don't care if you have realizations. It could be un unrealized companies that have shown significant markups, but we need something to seek, sink our teeth into. We're believers that operators can be very successful as VCs as well and can really resonate well with founders, but we need to be able to see something from a track record standpoint, either, you know, someone was a senior associate or a principal at another venture firm and started leading deals and showed sourcing prowess, and we can check that with the founder community. Or it was an operator that did seed investing on the side and put together investments that way. And was still very additive and helpful and was not just throwing option bets to work um, that we can verify and that we can check. Or it's someone who spun out of a firm to do that. Or it's just folks that we can get enough references on to get comfortable with uh, in the community that they're, they're special, that they're gonna do something great and that their background uh, and knowledge base really fits into their strategy both from a stage point of view and also from a subsector point of view if they're going to narrow that down and do something more specific. I'd say we don't do overly narrow subsector funds. Um, we like people to be able to bob and weave, have flexibility. Um, and we do have a bias towards some level of concentration. Um, uh, I think when folks are doing like hundreds of deals per fund, unless it's an incredible community model and you tie it together that way, uh, we just we just worry about the repeatability of that and your your ability to really help um, founders. We don't care if you sit on the boards of all companies or if you sit on the boards of some companies. We're flexible around that. And as I mentioned up front, we like unique sourcing angles um, um, where people will have an advantage or where they're tapping uh, communities that aren't being noticed. Um, and you know, finding a way to, to identify companies at interesting prices with nice ownership and then building that into to bigger end of day enterprise value. And then culturally, folks that are within a firm 
have to love each other, uh, have to have worked together for a long period of time, have to have had some intense fights at some point and worked through that. Um, and then just have a very clear point of view on what kind of organization and culture they want to build. Um, not just from an external messaging standpoint, but people internally are living and breathing that. And like, it's very clear what you stand for. Um, and I think you all do an incredible job at that. That's a good perspective. I remember during one LP pitch, they said, hey, we're, we're betting on people that are betting on people. And it sounds like you have ways to triangulate how strong managers will be given the subjective nature of it and trying to be forward looking at, as well. Um, yeah. I did have a question on like sizing, right? So I know you guys have a bias for concentration, as you said, but do you think there's a rough range for like when it gets harder to become successful as a seed fund? Like, is there a cap in your mind where you like to see seed funds today? Um, I guess above a certain amount, is it hard to generate returns? Um, we're not as rigid on sizing um, okay. and we have different pools of capital that can invest in groups at different sizes. Uh, I do think it becomes harder uh, if you're continuing to do a pure seed strategy and get bigger. Um, but if you're very good at aggressive follow-on behavior and continuing to support these businesses and founders love you enough to never cut you back and continue to give you full pro rata, which is not trivial and oftentimes does not happen, um, we will frequently, as part of our diligence, see where our seed managers have been able to get full pro rata in an A or a B round and track that actively, um, because I think it's hard to do. Um, and if you're going to get bigger, then your options are either you continue to maintain your pro rata to a certain point, or you move into becoming more of a post seed or a series A or a series B investor at entry point. I mean, those are really like the levers you can pull. Um, and just because you started seed for me doesn't mean you have to stay at seed. We have had groups that have started at seed and have ended up becoming series A players over time. And that's a, that's a choice you can make. I mean, the series A world is brutal. Brand matters more than ever <laughs> in series A. And there are some very good groups that have been doing it for a long period of time with exceptional performance, but there are brave folks that can enter into that fray and do it effectively and compete head to head. And, and that's a choice. Others will stay and dominate the seed category. And, you know, there's 1200 or so micro VCs doing that. And so it's a different kind of difficulty there because there's just a lot of people and you need to stand out um, versus competing against heavyweights, at the series A side. But no, I don't have any kind of religious point of view around, you know, what size you need to be. And we have different ways to support people on their journey as, as they maybe mutate or evolve in some way. That's great. That's one thing that I like about you in Michigan a lot. You both have a lot of flexibility. And I think you see um, that that helps when you're, when you're working with, with early stage venture groups. Yeah. And I think just like the collaboration and interface element, um, you know, the, this is a long-term asset class, uh, whether it's a GP LP relationship or whether it's a, a founder GP relationship, like it's easier when you have like good mutual respect and, and enjoy the interaction and, and mutually get something from it. You know, I feel that way about the, the folks at the state of Michigan. I feel that way about our partnership with you all. Um, you know, it's, it's right. more fun in this industry when you're, you're having a good time with, with, with people and, and hopefully winning together or right. when it's tough and you're losing, you're, you're still, you're still doing it with respect and, and enjoying the people on the other side of the table. I, I agree. Um, I wanted to get into pacing a little bit. Um, how often do you bring new managers into the portfolio? 
Um, I'm guessing it's tougher to do with how frequently folks are coming back, maybe a little <laughs> earlier than you expected for, for re-ups, but love to hear your perspective on that if you have any targets. Yeah, I mean, that is probably the refrain among the LP community in 2021 for sure. Um, it's it's not that people don't love venture or, or don't want exposure in venture. It's that uh, folks that have already had a manager roster are, are just sort of, um, you know, have so much re-up activity that they have to process and process quickly um, because the the time back to market, you know, when, when I started in this business was more like three years and, and buyout private equity could be longer. Then over time, it shrunk down to like two and a half, then to two years. Now it feels like time back to market is, you know, 18 months to 24 wow. months. And, you know, there are even some folks that will come back like annually, um, and are transparent around it. Um, and we size our commitment sizes differently as long as people are transparent about it. Uh, maybe do a half commit or something like that. But everyone in 2021 that invests in venture is contending with that pacing question. And it's an important one um, because you wanna support your best partners um, and you wanna be there for them. And I'm a big believer in the opportunity set right now. Uh, you know, I think it's an incredible innovation cycle technology is touching or disrupting all kinds of mainstream industry categories. And so this is not a time you want to sit out. Uh, you certainly have to navigate the valuation pressures that all of us are seeing from pre-seed to late stage, um, which are you know getting rather nuts and the time to decision-making, which is getting very abbreviated. Uh, but at the same time, like it's, I think it's a compelling time to be investing in venture. Um, so everything is different. Some, some scenarios you have to size down. Um, you know, some you need to try to find a little bit more flexibility on timing and adding new managers becomes tough for everyone. Um, I talk to LPs all the time that just can't add new managers right now. But there's also new allocators to this to this business that weren't doing venture ever before um, and that need to build a good manager roster and probably do it with folks of all different sizes and and approaches. And so while you have the people that have been doing this for a while that are oversaturated, you have many others that are, are, are coming in and doing it for the first time. And so you got to balance that. Um, for us specifically, uh, we still are doing new managers. The bar has become higher, um, but particularly in the smaller fund size side, we are adding new groups um, and, and really across stage continuums. But um, you know, we need to be really compelled when we do it because we're also going to have all of this re-up activity we're contending with. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's one thing to raise your first fund, but, you know, long-term you really have to do a good job of maintaining relationships with LP. So I'm curious from your perspective, any best practices you've seen around GPs that have been exceptional at, you know, maintaining uh, LP communication in that relationship? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you all do a great job from a communication standpoint. You know, the update decks you send out every quarter are detailed. <clears throat> they cover firm and organizational developments. They cover um, portfolio updates. Um, you know, they're granular. They give you good detail. Um, and, you know, not even just for LPs, but I think you tell the story externally for folks that aren't fortunate enough to be investors with you all yet. And so, um, you know, different kinds of mediums, different kinds of messaging, but, you know, important to continue to keep people updated on what you're doing. Um, you know, it's important to us to, to be on advisory boards um, because we like to have that kind of interaction. And I think advisory boards are a good way to, to get even more granular down at the company level or have like good informed discussions around 
the future of an organization and hiring and thinking through those kind of tough decisions and not rushing it, but, but doing it thoughtfully. And so we like doing that as well. And I think, you know, events and annual meetings and when all of that comes back in, in even more earnest, those are always great to do too, um, because it's just, it's just nice to see people in person. It's nice to connect all of your constituents and bring the LPs together with, with you all, with the founder community, with other GPs you like working with, see how it all works, you know, in practice. And so more and more of that is great. And then finding unique ways to do annual meetings or advisory boards, and not just like doing what's always been done, but thinking through different ways to, to interact, you know, together. I, I always, I'm always impressed by people thinking outside the box there. That's great. And one quick follow-up is, is there anything that you wish GPs just did more of generally? Um, you know, one, one piece of feedback we got was that we need to preview things with LPs. Uh, like it's good to have conversations before you start dropping legal docs or asking for any, any significant <laughs> changes. But besides that, just curious, like any, anything you would like to see GPs do, do more of? Yeah, I mean, like on, on legal term side, I think the advisory board is always a good place to like have those initial conversations and talk to your, your key constituents and like get an opinion before you go out to everyone because they'll, they'll, they'll shoot you straight. Um, and I think in, in this environment, as we just discussed, just being very clear on expected time back to market. Um, there's nothing worse than someone coming back and saying, oh, yeah, we're going to do uh, the next raise in a month and we're going to close in a month after that, um, you know, like just, just like give people some planning <laughs> techniques um, so that, you know, they're, they're aware of it. And, you know, even if it's earlier, like you just know and you can staff it accordingly and be ahead of it. Um, so and just that open communication, um, you know, we're active in direct investing. Increasingly, a lot of the, the other uh, LPs are becoming more active probably more so on, on smaller passive co-invests. And, you know, I think that can be a tool done effectively um, for GPs. Um, you know, our preference is to lead price and structure rounds, but for, for many others, um, coming in and doing co-invests is something that's increasingly important, but that needs to be done correctly too, or it will eat away at a ton of your time uh, and become a distraction too. Um, so I think there's a lot of like best practices and knowing the right profile, putting together informed materials, not wasting your founder's time, structuring it effectively with good alignments, you know, that that's like another place to spend time thinking about in this day and age. Fantastic. I wanted to, to double click a little bit more on emerging managers and, and how you think about, about those. And so is there anything else you're looking for in particular for emerging managers? I know you mentioned it's helpful if people have, you know, some expertise in the strategy that they're going after. Maybe they spun out of a shop. Maybe they're an operator who has a lot of connections. But um, is there anything else that in particular you're looking for for emerging managers and, and how they can differentiate themselves? And not, I mean, I, I just struggle when it's a scenario where someone's telling their story and it doesn't feel cohesive, um, mm -hmm. you know. They did all of this stuff for 20 to 30 years and now suddenly like they want to invest in an industry or a category like that had nothing to do with that background. Um, like I, I think the, the story needs to piece together and, and be thoughtfully constructed. And if you don't have those pieces yet, then build those before you become an investor in the category. Um, and there's no reason why you need to immediately become a VC in this world, um, you know, you could do something operational or you could do something in the industry or category you're passionate about, 
and build a network that's relevant and put those puzzle pieces together in the storyline. Um, I just don't like folks that randomly try to capitalize on categories they think people want to invest in. Um, you know, I'd rather they, they, them living and breathing this stuff and, and being passionate about it. You know, beyond that, I, I think we, we've covered most of it. Folks that you know, are passionate, excited, work hard, uh, are, are open to feedback, that want to learn, um, that recognize like where what they know and what they'd like to get help around, and and that take building an organization seriously, um, you know, that want to hire pieces like a COO or you know a really high quality CFO or you know the community builder position that actually does more um, than than what we talked about earlier. You know, those those are pieces like you invested, you're giving up you know, uh, part of the carry, you're paying folks salaries there. And so it's an investment. Um, uh, and it shows that you just want to build a world-class organization, even, even early. And you can't do all of that with, you know, a $40 million fund one with a, a limited management fee. But like, you know, as, as you grow and evolve, and you have certainly done this, you, you put the pieces together and building a, a world-class organization and, you know, hire great principals and mentor and teach them to, um, and create like vertical, um, expansion opportunities within within the firms too, um, all, all that. Great. And as groups are transitioning, let's say, assume they have success, they were an emerging manager, now they're becoming an established manager, maybe raising fund three or fund four. Curious, any advice you have uh, for those groups? I mean, I think the pressure when you're getting started out is to, to sell, 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 you know, um, within reason. But then I think there's a balance that I've seen to some more seasoned GPs be really candid about things that aren't going well and maybe talking in detail about any strategy shifts. So curious, anything that you've seen work well as folks are hitting that inflection point and, and becoming more, more established? Yeah. I mean, I always talk about like being very thoughtful about LP based construction for one thing. Um, and you all were lucky enough to have very high quality institutions and in fund one, I would say that's not typically the norm. Um, it's a bit of a hodgepodge and friends and family and people you've worked with um, in some capacity that just want to support you and be there. And maybe you get an institution or two in there if you're lucky at the end. But, you know, when you do fund two, when you do fund three, you want to continue to have those people who have been there for you. But you also want to mix in good institutions that are going to be permanent capital and that love venture and aren't doing it to try to play like a cyclical timing game, but that actually like want to be in this category with who they think are the best people for a long period of time. So LP-based construction should be thoughtfully done and it shouldn't be static. Um, and, and frankly, just like a founder would think about like who's earned their way in, in a cap table, like I, I think GP should think about that with LPs too. Um, and like, you know, the, the folks that are the best partners, to the extent you continue to prove it, you should, you should want the best partners in return, you know. Um, so that, that's why we always want to be more than, than passive capital. Um, in terms of other things, like people who do early stage investing should be incredible at building relationships down the stage stack. Um, you can't be complacent about that. Um, you need to have great connectivity if you're a seed group with Series A folks to the point where they're tracking your portfolios, they're calling you, and then you know the people in every subsector that are the best folks to point founders to, um, and not just like firms, but individuals within those firms, and that you actually have a relationship there, and they they take everything you do seriously, and 
even like going into BCD, you know, crossover rounds. I think that connectivity across the stage continuum is, is really important to the longevity of, of what you want to do. And the other things I think we've already discussed, like clear message, clear brand. Um, if there is strategy drift, just own it, message it accordingly and make people aware both at the founder level and on the LP side, like a strategy drift doesn't always have to be a, a bad thing um, as long as there's a reason for it and you're suited for it. So um, th those would be some of the other points I'd say. Great insight. I was curious about, you know, how you think about direct deals um, before we, we close in, in a few questions. Um, yeah, I believe you're pretty involved with those whether it's the yeah. co-invest or just, you know, deals that you guys are leading. Um, I'm curious, Green Springs, just criteria around those um, as we are doing more and as we want to send you guys stuff, just what are some things that, that make deals stand out and, and what you get excited and have conviction on? Yeah, so for us, um, you know, we have a broader point of view around what we can do there. We, we lead price and structure rounds, like I said. So for, for many of our managers, um, you know, if they love a company, they want to do more and they'd like someone, you know, who they trust and who the founder would in turn trust. We're a great group that can come in and be efficient and, you know, do almost like pseudo insider rounds um, where, you know, we don't want to disrupt chemistry and where the existing investors would love to invest more simultaneously. At the same time, we also have, you know, done all different kinds of deals in later stages or coming through vehicles selectively. Um, so we're not rigid around it. I would say what most LPs look for are scenarios where they can just get their arms around a deal um, and where it's more of a later stage opportunity and where you know traction is proven and where revenue is further along. We don't take as rigid of a point of view. We've done direct investing in you know early stage, mid stage. Mid stage is probably our sweet spot and even late stage, um, you know, we, we can be flexible across those. But most LPs, I would say, would prefer later stage venture, um, just from like a risk mitigation standpoint. And really what we love are deals where our GPs are excited and involved and passionate and want to do more. Um, if they're saying, uh, we're good, we love this company, we're full up, that's probably not the best point of time for, for us to be entering. You know, we want them to be finding you know, more, more dollars under cushions or, you know, recycling or reopening, uh, reallocating reserves, you know, that, that, that's, that's where we want to be entering. Noted and very helpful. Um, so we're going to wrap up with our final question. I think it's an interesting time to be in VC. Um, so I'm just curious, like any advice you have for your VC managers as they're navigating these, these interesting times? These times are really interesting. Um, it's just, it's like, it's fascinating, uh, you know, having done this for a while to see the, the, the year that we're in and, and, and what's going on. And so you got to bring your A game um, and it's hard and you have to stand out. And I think increasingly you have to stand for like true principles and a clear vision. Um, and, and you all have done that, um, you know, in a lot of different ways and building a world-class organization and embracing diverse founders that weren't getting enough time or attention, but like you, you, you have to be more than money and you have to stand for, for something. And the founder community cares about that. And the different generations care a lot more about that than folks that have been doing this for longer. And so all of that needs to come together in a coherent point of view and pitch and, um, you got to work hard <laughs> because 
it, it, it's, it's humbling and it is a frenetic environment. Um, and at the same time, and certainly for the late stage folks, you got to avoid um, overpaying because you can fall in love in these businesses and cyclicality can happen. The public market changes its point of view, interest rates change, and suddenly you, you have a lot of buyer's remorse on the prices that you've paid. Um, and you know, no one, even down to the seed side, is immune from, from pre-money valuation creep. Um, or increased sizing that's required. So, you know, don't wake up in a year and, and feel regret for what you've done. I believe that's a great place to close. And you do have to love this because it's been a, a wild year and who knows how long it'll keep going at this pace. Uh, but Hunter, just we want to thank you so much for taking the time. Your insights have been amazing and very informative for our audience. So thanks again and look forward to our continued partnership. T totally my pleasure. Always nice to talk to you anyway, um, but good to do it in this forum and, you know, excited uh, about where you all are, where you're going and, and how much success you've already had. So uh, to totally our pleasure to be part of the journey.